evening, and we begin by turning to the book of Acts here tonight. Um, we've looked in the past weeks how Jesus dealt with certain people as far as witnessing to them and trying to bring them to the place of salvation. And again, certainly a lot of things we can learn from the Lord Jesus on uh, dealing with people. Uh, with Nicodemus, he dealt with, again, Nicodemus and talked to him about the new birth. And certainly that's a good thing to talk to people about that are religious and may think they're in good spiritual shape. And so he talked to him about the new birth. To the Samaritan woman, he pointed out uh, to her her issue with sin. And uh, she believed him and trusted in him. Uh, to the rich young ruler, he confronted the rich young ruler who was trusting in his riches, also in his pride, and pointed out that he too was a sinner. And uh, he walked away from salvation instead of uh, accepting the truth. We see with Simon the Pharisee and the woman that was a sinner, he showed them both that they were debtors and they have nothing to pay. That's certainly, again, something, again, that we can talk to people about as they are debtors, spiritual debtors, nothing to pay. And he talked to Zacchaeus there, who was seeking the truth and helped him to come to the uh, salvation as he received uh, the Lord joyfully uh, that day. We're going to turn here to Acts chapter 8 here tonight. And we're going to look at, I guess, a, a one passage of Scripture that certainly teaches us at least a little bit about how to deal with false professors. And so we're going to be looking here tonight at how Peter dealt with a false professor in trying to bring him to true faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll begin here in Acts chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse number 5. I'll read down to verse number 24, as we see Philip go down to Samaria and preach the gospel there. Acts chapter 8, verse number 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy that were lame, were healed. There was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of, of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which he had done, which were done. Now when the apostles that were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he, had, he was fallen on none of them, only they that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy, Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, 
because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Tonight I'd like to look at how Peter dealt with a false professor. Let's pray as we consider this thought here tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, again for your word here tonight. And we do see here in the Bible, again, an account of a person who, again, may have acted like a Christian, did some of the things that Christians do, but yet was not a saved person. Father, we see him here tonight as an example of someone who professes to be saved but doesn't possess salvation. And as he was in this situation, Peter confronted him and dealt with him. Help us to understand some things from this account that could be a help to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I just want to say when, fault, when it comes to false professors, I don't believe they all should be dealt with all the same way. But I do believe this certainly gives us a good example of how we might deal with someone that just openly shows that they're lost. And again, someone might look at this account in the Bible and they might say, first of all, Simon wasn't lost. He wasn't lost. I, I mean, they point out here maybe in verse number 13, it says that Simon himself believed also. And so they say he wasn't lost. But just to believe doesn't mean someone is saved. And certainly, again, there are people that believe in, in a sense today, but aren't saved. I could have said in times past, I believed in Jesus Christ. But I wasn't saved. I believed in Jesus Christ probably since the time I grew up. I mean, I learned about him in Sunday school and the church I grew up in. And I heard about Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And I believed in him. And I thought about him. And I wondered about him. But I wasn't saved. But as we consider here tonight some things and some thoughts on how to deal with false professors, I want us just to begin by seeing the context here uh, this evening. Uh, the context here is Philip going down to Samaria. And he went down to Samaria as a result of the church being persecuted at Jerusalem. Let's back up there in verse number 1. It says, and, Paul, uh, sorry, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that uh, time there was great persecution against the church which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing them to prison. Therefore, they went, uh, they that, sorry, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the world. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, the context here of this passage of scripture is again the persecution of the church at Jerusalem. As a result of that persecution, we see again some good things happen there. Uh, the Bible says, and they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Now that's a good thing. Now we might look at that as a bad thing. And again, if you looked at that in the Bible and say that happened here, or maybe in some other area, there was persecution take place and everybody was scattered abroad. But they began to preach the word. And one of the people there that was a part of that church began to preach the word was Philip. Philip goes down there 
to Samaria, and, and there's a great reception that takes place in Samaria. In verse 6, it says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. Just want to stop there. You know, Samaria was a place where there's a lot of people that were demon-possessed. And uh, we find in the Bible these demon-possessed people had those spirits leave them. And it says many that were taken with palsy and that were lame were also healed. And so there's a lot of people that were, again, of, uh, of uh, handicap or lame, as it would mention here in the Bible. And there was healing that took place there. And there was great joy in the city that took place there. And people saw the miracles and they heard the miracles and they were all uh, in a place where they received this, this message that was there. Verse 8, it says, and there was great joy in that city. You know, Philip made a difference going down there to Samaria, bringing the message of Christ to them. And I believe every one of us can do the same thing. We can bring the message of Christ to other people and bring them joy as a result. I want to consider some things about Simon here tonight. I have three points here tonight. We'll look at the character of Simon, the confrontation of Simon, and the concern of Simon. And again, these will just be right in order going along with the text. Uh, first of all, we looked at the character of Simon. Simon, the Bible says there, is a sorcerer. Religiously a sorcerer. That's not a good thing to be but that's what he was verse 9 it says but there was a certain man called Simon which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria giving out that he himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least of them to the greatest that this man is the great power of God he's a sorcerer and he deceived people through his sorcery the Bible says he bewitched them through his sorceries. And so we see here, begin with, that we look at the character of Simon. He was a sorcerer. He would have been uh, much like the modern-day witch doctor or shaman that you see around the world today. He was the community occult leader, and he was leading people to the dark side spiritually. Many that were possessed with devil were part of that city. And the Bible mentions that in verse number 7. And someone might say, why would that be? Well, this guy probably led them to the dark side spiritually. In fact, it talks about him being someone, again, who, who bewitched them with sorcery. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13. We may not see around us so much in, in the American culture sorcery, but I think you can see it if you go to the stores. I think you can see it if you go to the Walmart or the Target or any kind of a major store. You can, get, again, see things that are... Uh, dark and, and certainly, again, not after the things of God. You'll think, see uh, articles about casting spells. You'll see books about that. You'll see, uh, again, uh, uh, games about that. You'll see videos about that. Uh, again, sorcery, it's all around us, even today. Acts 13, verse number 6, it says, And when they had gone through the Isle Pathmos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was of the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Bar Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of the Lord. But Elimaeus the saucer, for he is so by his name by interpretation, withstood them, 
and seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So you see here in the Bible, again, another sorcerer whose name is Bar-Jesus. The word Bar just means the son. So the son of Jesus or son of Joshua. Again, this Bar-Jesus wanted to hear the word of God. He mentions that. He desired to hear the word of God. But Alamaeus, the sorcerer, different kinds of sorcerers, different kinds of false teachers. The Bible mentions in verse number six, this sorcerer was a false prophet, and he was a Jew. He was a false prophet and a Jew. We don't know exactly what Simon was like, but we could... Uh, know this for sure. He was a false prophet. He was a false teacher. Or he was a literal liar to a large degree. Now, why did I say he's a literal liar? Well, go back to our text there. The Bible says there in Acts chapter uh, 8, there, verse number 9, he gave out that himself was some great one. He gave out like he was some great one. Now, people could put up a show like there's some great one spiritually. And they can make multitudes of money around the world. I think of Africa. When I was over there in Africa, they'd have what they call the gospel show there. Can you imagine having a gospel show? Well, that was just a preacher coming out to, to maybe try to have some kind of healing services or whatever it might be, and people would come out there to the gospel show. This part Jesus was, was involved with the show. Jeremiah chapter 27, let's turn back there. You know, you see the saucers, the magicians there back in the Old Testament, even alongside with the uh, prophet Moses. And uh, again, throughout history, there have been people involved with the cult, with the dark side spiritually, certainly again having some powers, powers coming from Satan, certainly casting spells, doing enchantments, all kinds of different things. African witch doctors today still gain dollars and cents from people as they sometimes will try to shoo away bad luck and other things when it comes to other people spiritually, and they'll believe in them, and they'll follow them, and they'll be bewitched by them. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 9, it says, Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. Again, in this context here, it talks about not listening to these prophets, dreamers, diviners, enchanters, sorcerers, etc. But this whole city had been trapped by Simon the sorcerer. Let's turn back there. Simon the sorcerer, I preached a message some time back. I mean, uh, he came across as he was some great one. And so I want to say, secondly, about the character of Simon, religiously, he was a saucer. Socially, he was a great one. In verse number 9, he was an influential one, giving out that he himself was some great one. He bewitched the people of Samaria. He certainly had great control there. He certainly had influence there. Uh, this man had built a reputation of being spiritually the big person, spiritually socially well-known, and in control of many people's minds spiritually. Verse 9, it says, And there was a certain man named Simon, who before time in the same city 
used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he was some great one, and to whom they all gave heed, from the least of them the greatest. Everybody listened to this guy. He certainly, again, had a powerful position in that city. He put on a good show. He seemed to be spiritual. He certainly appeared to be strong in some way, shape, or form. Again, I would think that's the word, the word great one would speak about. Maybe he, who knows, said he was someone spiritually that he was not. But to the people, they thought, this man has the great power of God. You know, just name a name, Benny Hinn. I don't know if he's still around anymore. But he comes across as he's some great one. Certainly, they got a lot of people out there that come across as their great ones. He was a spiritual big shot. He had great influence. He had tremendous influence over the people of that city. And they, with one accord, the Bible says, they gave heed to him from the least to the greatest that he had the great power of God. I want to say this thirdly about Simon. Practically, and I want to just say this, he was an actor. Practically, he was an actor. In verse number 9, the Bible says there, giving out that he himself was a great one. He was an actor. You know, some people can put on a really good act. And he could put on a great act. And he could put on a good show. And there are people again today, and you'll see their, their names, uh, uh, some coming out in the, in the press and even in the media in America today where you see people that were once religious celebrities and huge names spiritually no longer believe in the truth and the word of God. One guy in particular, I'll just mention a little bit about him. And again, I just do this. And again, not to slander him, but just to mention this about him. An evangelical by the name of Joshua Harris. Most of you possibly have heard of Joshua Harris. Maybe you haven't, but he wrote a book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was a very strict book and a separated book. It was written in 1997. He led a Sovereign Grace Church. That is a Calvinistic ministry. And he led that ministry for many years. But he, re he recently announced that he no longer believes in the Christian faith. No longer believes in it. Again, you can go online, you can see where he is today. He is now considered a wordsmith. I've never heard that before. A wordsmith? Are you a wordsmith? I've heard of a blacksmith, and I've heard a lot of different things, but a wordsmith. He is now a storyteller and a business owner. That's what he is today. I mean, he wrote a book about certain things and certain beliefs when it comes to dating, and he's so different than he is now today. And I don't know what happened to him. Someone says, well, maybe he got enlightened or whatever. But I'm just saying this. I'd have to believe at some point he was just playing an actor. He was just acting. To go from a sovereign grace, and again, I'm not saying that's the best kind of a church, but that would be a, a somewhat Bible-believing Baptist, maybe kind of a church, not maybe Baptist, but a, someone that believed in salvation by grace, but... Maybe grace only received if God gives it to you. And now to a place where he is no longer believing in the Christian faith, 
and he's divorced his wife. And he doesn't believe in the book he wrote. Simon was an actor. I believe some are just actors. You know, some people, I believe, go into the ministry because it's a way of making money. It's a job. It's a career. It's uh, whatever it might be. And they can walk away at it with, from that place and they can become a wordsmith and a storyteller. When they once were a preacher, a teacher, a very influential evangelical leader, Joshua Harris, pretty influential around the world. Baptists have quoted his books. I've read some of his stuff. I kiss dating goodbye. No longer a Christian. He wasn't a Christian. He isn't a Christian. He was a false professor, just like Simon. That leads me to my fourth point. Spiritually, he was a false professor. He wasn't a true possessor. He gave out that he was some great one. Verse number 12 says that. And then it says, and when Philip came there in verse number 12, sorry, that wasn't verse number 12, gave out this great, great one, that's verse number 10. Verse number 12, it says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of the Lord Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. And so people believed the preaching there in verse number 12. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which, he, which were done. And so we see again here, Simon, who was once a sorcerer, seemingly maybe accept the Christian faith. But did he really accept it? Or was he just wondering? The Bible says there, he continued with Philip in wonder, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. You know, this guy was someone who did fake miracles, fake things before, and now he's seeing a guy do true things and real things. People are being healed. Uh, demons are being cast out, and people are being changed. And here he is along with them. Many false professors, I believe, have a faith based on sight, not in the scriptures. He wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Doesn't say he wondered, beholding the word of God that he heard. Just looked at those things and said, oh, there's something to this. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. I could quote that, but I'll have you turn over there. Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. We have a false foundation when it comes to our faith if we're just looking at what religion can do for us. And some people, again, they have a Christian faith. They have a life when it comes to the Christian faith. It's just based on things that they've seen and uh, maybe things done for them or done for somebody else, and they say they have faith. But is their faith really scriptural? Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. True faith comes from the word of God. And our faith is built on the word of God. And I believe that faith, again, that Simon had was different. Because he wondered at the signs. Secondly, I believe he was a false professor, not only because he wondered at the signs, but because secondly, he wanted power. 
He wanted power. Look at verse number 14 there, it says. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that the Samaria, the Samaria had received the word of God, they sent on the Peter and John, and when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they that were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Then Simon saw that through the laying on of hands of the apostles, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whosoever I lay hands, I may receive the Holy Ghost. I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's giving away himself spiritually. He wants power. He wants to gain his power. Simon's faith was one of wondering concerning miracles, and it was one of wanting spiritual power. And he would give out money so they might have this power. It's like trying to buy the office of an apostle. And so we see him, I believe, as a false professor. Why do we see him as a false professor? Because he wondered at the signs. He wanted power. Thirdly, he was confused when it came to the issue of salvation. Verse 19, it says, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, that he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto them, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. He's confused about salvation. Connecting the gift of God, eternal life, or the power of God with money. Certainly confused spiritually. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Actually, Matthew chapter 7. There are people that are false professors that do things that would align themselves with the Christian faith. And I just want to say that. There are things that some people do that would align themselves with the Christian faith. They're not Muslims. They're not Buddhists. They're not... Uh, you know, some other faith system, they would align themselves with the Christian faith. But that doesn't mean that everybody that professes to be saved is indeed saved. Matthew chapter 7 here, verse number 16, the Bible says, You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, Neither can a corrupt free, uh, tree sorry, bring forth good fruit. And it says in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in the name? And in thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, some people may be able to do some things that spiritually would align themselves with God. Say, Lord, Lord. Some would say, again, they'd prophesy or preach in God's name. Some would even cast out devils in the name of the Lord and do wonderful works in the name of the Lord Jesus. Yet not be known of God. These are false professors. And the Bible says there, by their, by, your, by their fruits, you shall know them. Verse 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Spiritually, he was a false professor. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know, false professors, they talk about their spirituality in terms that you would say, 
that doesn't really line up with the Bible. Or you might talk, they might talk about their faith and uh, they t- say things that are totally contrary to the Word of God. And you might say, uh, well, that really doesn't line up with Christianity or whatever it might be. And uh, we find in the Bible here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 5, that people can have a form or function as far as what appears to some to be godliness. But that doesn't mean they are indeed godly. Notice here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. There's some in the last day, perilous times, will have a form of godliness. False, false professors can have a form of godliness. They can appear like maybe they're true believers. But keep in mind, to believe can be different. Let's turn to James chapter uh, 2 there. James chapter 2, there can be an intellectual faith. And I believe there's a lot of people that have an intellectual faith. And certainly, again, I would believe that this Simon had an intellectual faith when it came to the Lord Jesus and the things of the faith of uh, salvation and things along that lines. But uh, notice here, James chapter 2, verse number 19 and verse number 20, James 2, 19 and 20, it says, uh, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble, but thou, uh, but, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And so the Bible tells us that the devils believe. And so we find in the Bible, someone might be confused. This, this man appears to be a professor. He seemingly follows along with the Christian faith. Let's turn back there to Acts chapter 8. This false professor goes through the motions of uh, going and following the Christian faith. He believes the Bible says there in verse number 12, the, uh, the uh, things concerning Jesus Christ, at least to some degree. Uh, certainly, he could be a part of people that believe, but uh, don't continue in his word. Uh, he was baptized, the Bible says there in verse number 13, then Philip himself was that believed, and he also was baptized. And uh, it mentions him being baptized there. And uh, someone says, someone is, that believes and is baptized, they certainly would be saved and, and that sort of thing. And certainly that's the case, uh, again, in most cases maybe, or a lot of cases, but Simon being a false professor could just be putting on a good front. Putting on the Christian wear, doing what Christians do. Begin to follow the Christian faith. We know of someone who wasn't saved, that certainly looked like a Christian, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. To the disciples, there was one of the twelve that appeared to be a Christian. I don't believe any of them doubted that he was a Christian. His name, again, is certainly one that we know as Judas Iscariot. He was a traitor, but nobody saw him as a false professor. Nobody saw him as a false apostle. Nobody saw him as a false disciple, but he was all these. Matthew 26, verse number 20, the Bible says, And when the eleven were come, they sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And thou were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? It's all of them. 
all 12. They're all sorrowful. They're exceeding sorrowful. They're wondering if they are going to be the one that betrays him. And then Jesus says this, and he answered and said, he that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. And the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but want him, that man who the, uh, the Son of Man has betrayed, it had been good they, that for that man that he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said to him, Thou hast said. So, everybody closed their ears, nobody listening. Here we find the Bible, it appears that Judas identified himself. He says, Thou hast said. And again, maybe that doesn't clarify it clearly for us, but let's turn to John chapter 6. As far as the spiritual condition of Judas Iscariot, he may well have been someone who was chosen of the Lord. He's someone that preached the gospel. More likely someone that casts out devils, because it talks about the disciples being able to cast out devils. And uh, yet it says here in John chapter 6, in verse number 70, Jesus says this of Judas Iscariot. And Jesus answered them and said, Have I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. Don't call a Christian a devil. But one of you is a devil. John chapter 13, verse number 25, it may not be easy for us sometimes to identify maybe who a false professor is, but I think in this case of, Ju of uh, Judas Iscariot, it was hard to see. It's certainly in the case of Simon, I don't think it was as hard to see. That's why I believe Peter ended up talking to him. John chapter 13, verse number 25 Speaking about Judas Iscariot here again, it says, then he, uh, says, He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Who is it that's going to betray you? And Jesus answers, and he says, He it is to whom I give a saw, and why I've dipped it. And when he had dipped the saw, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. I mean, they hear, That thou doest, do quickly. They hear this and like, What's going on here? None of them identified who Judas was. And then since there, verse number 30, it says, He then immediately received the sop and went out immediately, and it was night. John says, Who is it? He that I'm going to dip this sop with. And then nobody identifies him. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it. Judas certainly played a great game as a false professor. He too, like Simon, believed. He too, like Simon, was baptized. He, he, he too, like Simon, was a follower and disciple. Let's turn back to our text there in Acts chapter 8. But he was not a true believer. We see there in the Bible that this Simon fouled uh, Philip there. It mentions there, and he continued with Philip, verse 13, and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And so he was a follower of 
Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. And we know from John chapter 6, I believe it's verse number 66, there were people that were followers of Jesus and they walked no more with him. And some, again, may be attracted to the real faith, as I believe Simon was. He's a fake miracle-working type ministry before. He dealt with a real working type ministry, but he was lost. Verse number 21, how do I know he's lost? Because here in the Bible, Peter basically identifies him as being lost. Verse 20 says, uh, thy money perish with thee. The money you have perish with thee. Money and you perish. Verse number 21, it says, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right with the, in sight of God. Repent therefore of thy wickedness, and pray God, and perhaps the thought of that heart may be forgiven thee. He was lost. He was not right with God. He was in the bond of iniquity. He's not free. So we see the character of Simon, and I just mentioned this. He religiously is a saucer. Socially, he was a great one. Personally, I believe he was an actor. Spiritually, he was a false professor. But we see Peter confront him. I just want you to notice some things about this here. First of all, he did not ignore him. He certainly could have ignored him, but he did not ignore him. Both Peter and John, in verse 14, came down to Samaria. And uh, they met up there with the people there and and they prayed for them, and some received the Holy Ghost at that point. Verse number 18, it says, When Simon saw that through the laying of the hands of the apostles the uh, Holy Ghost was given, he offered money, saying, Give me also this power that whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And so we see here, first of all, uh, Peter see this guy. And Peter began to talk to this guy. He didn't ignore this guy. I wonder sometimes if we should ignore people that show themselves as false professors and not talk to them about their spiritual condition. I mean, when it's outright blatant by their words or their works that they are not spiritually alive, they're spiritually dead. Now, someone say, this is Peter. He has the Holy Ghost. He has power. He's an apostle. He can do these things. That's Jesus. They can do all these things. I get that. But is it that hard for us to see in this passage of Scripture that this guy did not understand spiritual things? The Bible says he offered them money. Give me this power, then I may receive the Holy Ghost. He didn't see things in terms of grace, but he sees things in terms of money. He sees things in terms of power. He sees things in just totally wacky spiritual ways. And so we see, first of all, in the confrontation of Simon, Peter and John deal with this lost man. They didn't wait until this lost man figured out spiritually he was still, again, in the bond of iniquity. They didn't wait till this lost man, again, died and spent hell, his life in hell and eternity. They confronted this man. And Jesus confronted men about the, their condition spiritually. He didn't say to Nicodemus, you're okay spiritually, you're a leader of the Jews, you know, you're good, you're all right, everything's great as far as your spiritual condition, just go on and keep doing the things that you're doing. He didn't say the rich young ruler, he said, hey, you know what, you're doing really morally good, you said you're following the Ten Commandments, keep going, you're, you're good at this, and just keep going down the road spiritually. Uh, these people were confronted spiritually. 
And again, I think sometimes we need to confront some spiritually. And I know sometimes I haven't confronted some spiritually, but maybe we should confront spiritually. This man had joined the church, in a sense, or joined the group there in Samaria, at least to begin with, but he was a false professor. And he was still in the bond of iniquity. And he was told to repent, or he would perish. Verse 20, Peter says, you're going to perish. Thy money perish with thee. And then he says in verse number 22, he says, Repent therefore of thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. This guy needs forgiveness. He doesn't need power. He needs forgiveness. He needs to be set free from his spiritual bondage. Let's turn to John chapter 3. He hasn't been set free. He's still in spiritual bondage. He's still... Uh, connected with his money. He's still probably in a place where he just play acting. Wherever he can make the money, that's where he's going to be. And I've, I, I think I've seen some people over time just do that. They bounce from one religious faith to another religious faith and to another religious faith. And sometimes it's because here I can have notoriety of money. Well, they don't pay well in that kind of a church. Oh, I'll, I'll join this. I just got to tweak my doctrine just a little bit spiritually. Turn to John chapter 8, verse number 30. When it comes to believing, those that continue in the word are certainly disciples indeed. Notice here in John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then said Jesus to those Jews that believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. As you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so these guys need to be free. Peter said, you're in bondage. Verse 31, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Peter heard these things. You're free. And he's telling this guy, you're in bondage. You're in spiritual bondage. You haven't reached first base spiritually. And so he confronts him. He doesn't ignore him. And so the confrontation with Simon, both Peter and John are there, I'm sure, and he didn't ignore him. Number two, he didn't, he confronts him, and he says, you're going to perish with your money. Because you think the gift of God may be purchased with money. He didn't understand grace. He didn't understand salvation. He didn't understand the purchase redemption through the blood. He didn't understand that you had a debt you cannot pay. He didn't understand that the precious blood of Jesus is precious to those that believe. So he instructs him. Thirdly, I like to see that, that confrontation, he instructs Simon spiritually. And we need to instruct people spiritually that may be off doctrinally or false professors spiritually. Verse 22, he says, Repent therefore of thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Why was he in the gall of bitterness? I can't say for sure, but there's a lot of people that think he was in a place of bitterness because he had lost his position, he had lost his power, he had lost his prestige. And guess who had that now? Philip did. Peter and John now. They're in this place, and he's just a nobody. So he confronts him about bitterness. You're in the gall of bitterness. He could be bitter for other reasons too, but I don't know for sure. Um, he's in the bond of iniquity. He's still in the bond of sin. He still spiritually need to be set free. And so he talks to them about these things. 
And he tells them to repent. Verse 22, repent therefore of thy wickedness. It's pretty tough, isn't it? Repent of thy wickedness. And then he says there, pray God if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. He confronts them spiritually. He needs to repent of his play acting. He needs to repent, I believe, of his association with the cult. He needs to repent of his desire for power. He needs to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But I want to look at finally, just quickly here, the concern of Simon. And he's really, I think, just concerned about himself. It's kind of like others in the Bible that really aren't in the place that they're going to repent. In verse 24, it says, Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Now, I can't say for sure, and I don't think anybody can say for sure exactly what Simon was thinking there, but he certainly, again, was focused on his well-being. Pray for me that none of these things should be that, that you have spoken of come upon me. Well, praying for him isn't going to do any, any good if he doesn't respond and repent. It's not going to fix the problem by having Peter pray, pray for Simon that he doesn't go to hell. That's not going to help. Peter's got to, uh, Simon's got to decide to do that himself. He could certainly pray for him that he'd understand the truth and the truth would set him free. He could pray for him that he repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But he can't really pray, pray for him that none of these things should be happening to him. Now he could pray that maybe he would come to the truth. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. When you're dealing with someone about salvation, you might pray if they don't understand things. You might pray with them afterwards and encourage them along the lines of just continue to seek the truth until uh, you understand things and you can, uh, again, just repent and believe the gospel. You can repent and trust in Jesus. But the concern of Simon was largely on himself. There's no indication that he turned from his sin. But he certainly wanted not to deal with the after effects of sin. 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 5. As we close here tonight, I want to consider, are you in the faith? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Prove your own self. Know ye not your own self. How that Jesus is in you. Except you be reprobates. Question is, is Jesus in you? Or are you reprobates? Simon was someone who would perish. And Peter was kind enough and courageous enough to confront him concerning his faith. I just want to say this. I wouldn't confront someone about them being lost unless you totally knew it to a large degree. Or certainly were convinced of it, as Peter was there. It says there in the Bible, there, verse number 21, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. How Peter dealt with this false professor, I believe he dealt with him very truthfully and honestly and encouraged him to repent and find forgiveness with the Lord. And that's what we need to do. Let's close as we consider the word of God here tonight.